hot as hell, and I'm really small. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky! <laughs> and welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't be covered on Permanent Good. Did you rehearse that one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's what I've learned about having a spinoff podcast is... It is way better to go second in the intro because the bits are f way, f the bit potential through the roof when you are second. Like I have, I don't have any work to do. So I can just kind of show up and just be a little goofy. Just be a little Take silly. Take notes, Alex. Be a little, little goofy when we do the intro. A little, a little silly boy. A little, a little silly. Yeah. Cause you know, you've done the straight man setup. And now I get to come in and be the fun one. Never, ever refer to me as a straight man ever again. <laughs> Not during Pride Month, no. <laughs> Not during Pride Month. <laughs> um, but yes, this month we are we are finishing our Star Wars saga, Ooh. and we are watching the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Objectively, the most. Objectively, the most divisive trilogies. Yeah, absolutely. I would say. And so let's start with this conversation, right? The This trilogy is divisive for a lot of reasons, and we're going to get into them individually as we talk about each movie individually. But a lot of people blame, like, the Disneyfication of this trilogy as to why it's not as good and blah, 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 blah. I think a lot of it has to do with the same reason the prequels were not well received, which is they're kind of kids movies at heart. And so I bet I would bet a lot of money that in 10 years, the sequel trilogy is going to have that nostalgic adoration that the prequel trilogy now has. Absolutely. So I think you can already kind of tell the kind of tone that I'm going to take in reviewing these movies. Um, but I'm excited nonetheless. Are you, are you ready to ho hop into it? Let's go. So we're going to start with The Force Awakens, episode seven, first mainline Star Wars movie in like 12 years. Uh, a, a continuation of a story that ended 30 years before that. And so this movie had a lot of, it had big shoes to fill. And I think a lot of people, when this movie first came out, a lot of people criticized it because it was too similar to episode four. A lot of the story beats feel similar. And also there's a woman now. And here's my main defense against that in just in general is this movie kicks ass. This movie kicks ass. This movie kicks this movie ass. It's so good. I just, this movie, I... I, I'm putting myself in a dangerous spot by saying this, but I'm going to say it, is that it is a good movie. It is a it is probably one of the best movies to introduce somebody to Star Wars in. Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, exactly what you said. <laughs> so, so, and here's why I say that. Whether or not you get disappointed by The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, I understand that. And so if you don't want to, if your fear of starting someone on The Force Awakens is, 
you know, they, you know, they're going to get a bad trilogy. You know, all the plot twists are going to get spoiled. I honestly don't think it's a bad idea to be like, hey, I don't know. If somebody already shows interest in Star Wars, start at the beginning. Sure. But if someone is like, I don't know if I would like Star Wars, show them Force Awakens. Because it is the most polished version of a Star Wars movie. So if you don't like Force Awakens, the beginning of a trilogy, a well-made movie, pretty, just like, it's, it has a lot of strengths. And so if you show someone that movie and they are disinterested in just the themes and concepts, then that's kind of like your, that's your exit point. Be like, you tried, it's going to be rough from here if you wanted to. And also, like, if you've made it to the year of our Lord 2022 without knowing anything about Star Wars, you've probably lived under a rock. Cal, Cal, Callum, looking at you. How does it, how do you not know anything even just from being online? Yeah, so I mean, it's one of those things where like, you, you know, if you start someone young, you know, if they're 13 or 14 or whatever, and they still haven't seen Star Wars, then you kind of have that conversation. I'm having, I think we're talking about like someone haven't seen Star, someone not seen Star Wars, like someone's like coming out of the closet. Like if they're 13 or 14 and you know, they haven't been expressing any interest, you know, you can have that conversation with them, figure out where you need to go. Oh my God. God. <laughs> hey, everyone knows the sexualities, you know, straight, gay, bi, pan, Star Wars. Jedi, Sith. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like Sith and Jedi are genders. Let's 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 be clear about that. <laughs> they, mm, mm, you might be onto something. <laughs> um so I think this movie, st it's. I feel like this movie starts very differently, Force Awakens does, than any other Star Wars movie in the sense, well, uh, you feel free to tell me I'm wrong, where like, it starts very boots on the ground, which is not a way that we've started a Star Wars movie in a while. It definitely throws you right into the action, like right in the thick of it. Yes, because you know, you have the opening crawl that's like, Here's the First Order. There's a resistance. If you've been keeping up with Star Wars, you kind of get the gist. Right. Um, and then the scene starts, and it's Poe Dameron, and we get introduced to my favorite character in all of Star Wars. That is one BB-8, my favorite, my little boy. I want to protect him with my life. Um, and so they show up on Jakku, which is just Tatooine. Two, I Electric guess. boogaloo. Um, and th they're meeting, you know, this resistance, not a sympathizer, I guess you would call them, just an ally of the resistance. And this guy is like, hey, here's a map to Luke Skywalker who disappeared. Take it. And this movie is about, it's almost, it, it's a very similar theme in, as opposed to the first Star Wars movie, which is, hey, this droid has a critical piece of information, get it to where it needs to go. Except in this movie, that is the majority of the movie. Yeah, definitely. It's got, like, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of themes that kind of coincide so like you mentioned with this being a good one to start people off with like this is kind of like 
a revamping of that one, but telling it differently. Yeah, it, it's an episode four remaster. Pretty and much. And if you remember from our original trilogy uh, review, it's like both of us found a lot of flaws in the first Star Wars movie. Most of them being it hasn't aged super well. Like our style in general, cinematic storytelling by style has changed a lot in 50 years. And I think that the, that a new hope falls into this category of like movies that were good for the audience that it was created for, but now, and and through no one's fault, you know, just kind of as culture progresses, uh, people prefer a different style of storytelling or they're more receptive to a different kind of storytelling. And A Force Awakens is just kind of taking those main themes and sure, even those main plot points from A New Hope. And they're just like, let's revamp it for a modern audience. And I don't think that's a problem because this movie rules. I will say, and this might be bold to say, but personally, I think that this trilogy has some of the best bits, like the best comedic bits about it (laughs) yeah yes yeah um i think i wrote this note for a later point but i can bring it up now it's like the first time i watched this movie what's in the original trilogy you know darth vader's second in command whose name escapes me right now uh grand moff tarkin uh he was not a character you know he was just the person that gave the execution order for Alderaan. And sure, he did more stuff, but for all intents and purposes, like, Tarkin, pretty shallow character. And here we have General Hux, who, on my first watch through, when I saw all these movies in theaters, I did not care for General Hux that much. No. I saw him as a very Tarkin-like character. But re-watching these a second time, I really appreciate the balance that he brought to Kylo Ren because Kylo Ren, you know, the main character feature he has is he's um, a hot headed brat and, and Hux is there to just kind of like level him out, check his ego and be like, Hey, you're not perfect. I could probably do a better job than you. So watch it. Yeah. But he does it he does it very sternly, but he also has lighthearted moments that balance out Kylo Ren's just absolute madheadedness. Yeah, he's there to be the voice of reason reason the voice of reason and the logical one almost. Yeah, and Kylo Ren just as a smooth segue, I think is set up very well in this movie and what i love about kylo ren is he is the opposite of darth vader in so many ways but it doesn't feel like that's the attitude they had when writing it because you know you look at some like a lot of superheroes their main supervillain is literally like the reverse flash bad superman Right. And so it's like, how do we take this character and make them interesting? You reverse it. Kylo Ren does not feel like he was written to be Darth Vader's antithesis in terms of Sith Lords. But it was it's very interesting to see such a completely different dynamic at the helm of the antagonist of this franchise. 
And it really shows, like, you know, how far gone Anakin was by the time yeah. he was Vader compared to Kylo Ren and where he stands. And also just kind of like their outlets for their rage because <laughs> Vader was very methodical and calculated. And when he was, he was, he, when he was angry, you were more scared when he was quiet. Yeah. And Kylo Ren is very much not that he, sh he wears his anger on his sleeve and that's what makes him terrifying. He is terrifying in his recklessness and it shows throughout this entire trilogy. And you get introduced to that concept very quickly. And I was on board right away. He's also just like, like that is a lumbering man. If I've ever seen one every time you yeah. see him walking. Yes. Oh, for sure. Is it this movie where he's shirtless for a scene? And even mm. Ray is like, yo, can you put a shirt on, please? I think that's the next one. I just that that's one of those bits that you're talking about where yeah. like a very serious scene, but he doesn't have a shirt on, and Reese is like, "Damn, dude, can you cover up?" Yikes! Honestly, like, bro, come on. Also, they did not need to have his pants up that high. That <laughs> they did. Hey, they didn't have to, but I'm kind of glad they did. I don't. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> um. I think this movie does a very good job at giving us nostalgia without milking it. Um, because when Han and Chewie enter the Falcon for the first time in The Force Awakens, it is a very heartfelt and wholesome moment that they don't sit on for very long. That scene could very easily have been like two or three minutes of Han like cracking jokes about like, Oh, this is different about the Falcon who changed this. What'd you do about that? Like, and they didn't do that. And it, it was very concise and well done. And so I point to that scene specifically, but there are other instances of like, there's a little bit of nostalgia bait, but they don't sit on it for very long. The shock factor of that little bit of nostalgia. And then, as soon as you get over it, it's over. They played it out and perfectly. Like it's, and like it's all relevant. Very few times in this movie did I feel like they were trying to shoehorn a piece of nostalgia. Exactly. They really, uh, they they really pushed hard for the the. May I be bold enough to say the Nazi symbolism in this one? Yeah, yeah. I think about that a lot. Because Star Wars is not the only franchise to do it where it's no. like when they want to create a fascist dictatorship, they all do the same symbol, which is the general, the salute that we all have come to know, except with a closed fist instead of an open hand. And there's and always everybody like... There's always the scene of them standing up in front of this large crowd with a red background behind them saying all this doing like, the salute. I'll do the salute while like giving this like motivational the other people are scum and they deserve to die speech and it's like, okay, Hitler, sit down. Like, oh like yikes, man. Like I got it. I get it. I'm not stupid. Right. Like I've I've pieced that part together by now. Also, I would, I think I'll say the scene of Star Killer Base 
destroying that system is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And, and I would go so far as to say is it's more heartbreaking than the destruction of Alderaan. Um, and not to say that the destruction of Alderaan isn't heartbreaking, especially on, like, you know, uh, re-watch-throughs. But I think just, like, kind of in the moment, uh, we see the First Order as kind of, like, this replacement empire. Where we kind of know the Empire's tricks, we know the Empire can be brutal, but when the First Order destroys an entire star system, it's like the gravity of the situation kind of kicks in. It's like, um, we don't know much about Snoke, but we know that the First Order has objectively too much killing power, and the man at the helm has the shortest fuse one could possibly have. And that is scary. Yeah, horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. I really liked the intensity of Finn and Ray's friendship. Oh my gosh, yes. I liked how I liked like Finn and Ray's friendship, Finn and Poe's friendship. Like these are like some of my favorite cinematic friendships. <laughs> For sure, definitely. And the reason I bring up Finn and Ray specifically is because Finn and Poe, they go hand in hand. Like you would ex you, like that's kind of the friendship you expect. But Finn fights so hard for Ray and Finn defends Ray when she is not there. And Finn is like Ray is Finn's light in this first movie. And it's genuinely inspiring to see people interact in that way. And it's cool. And, and, and I just really liked it. So that's why I called out those two specifically. No, yeah, I definitely agree. Like, it's such a immediate and strong friendship. And they're, like, literally ready to die for each other within, like, 20 minutes. And they know each other for checks, watch, 36 hours at most. Yeah, absolutely. And there's... Oh my god, so this movie, I was so excited for it when it was going to come out. And then the night before I went to see it, I opened up my Facebook and guess what was at the top of my feed? No. Oh yes. No. No, because this was this was in the first week, so everybody was like, Don't spoil it, don't spoil it, don't spoil it. And then this person who was my friend on Facebook what didn't even really talk to them more than once in real life, probably. Just outright spoiled it. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, bro, what the heck? Like, how are you going to do this to me right now? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be in denial. I'm in denial until I see it. I'm pretending I didn't see that. And I was like, ah. And everybody ripped him to shreds in the comments. I don't blame him. I don't blame you. I would. I would too. Um, yeah, dude, that's that scene is so good. Though. It's so See, here's the thing. Good. I will say, even if that gets spoiled, because Kylo kills Han Solo is the new Vader is Luke's father. It, it's. It is a spoiler that is ingrained into pop culture where you know it simply by existing. Um, but that scene is is still good. Even if you know how it's going to end, it's a very nice just moment together. And I that, wouldn't use nice. 
it's an intense juxtaposition how that scene ends. So it's just it's it's so good, so good. I, I still tear up every time it. I watch it like for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I we haven't talked about Ray very much, and I feel like we need to. Um, I like Ray. Rewatching these movies, I don't know if I love Daisy Ridley as Ray. No. Daisy Ridley is very iconic as Ray, so I don't know. I can't think, and also I'm bad at casting. I'm I would be a very bad casting director. Um, so I cannot give you a good replacement as to who could have done Ray better. But the way I look at it is I feel like Daisy Ridley portrays Ray's insecurities in a very hostile fashion, which I am not saying is an invalid way to portray it. I think it's just not super fun to watch all the time. I feel like it had like its purpose, though, because like it was like it showed the similarity between her and Ren almost like yes, it was like one of sure. those little sprinklings that like showed that connection and how they really weren't all that different in the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and maybe, uh, maybe that that's too definitive of a statement to put on, on this, but there's, I, I think the big thing is there is a link. There's like one gear if Ray's character was a thousand pieces, there's like two pieces that I feel like just like aren't quite connecting in terms of like character and portrayal. But I, I would have to really like, I would have to rewatch all those movies again with the intention of, I need to figure out exactly what's not clicking for me right now. And I can't do that. So I'm just saying like, there's, there's something about it that I can't quite put my finger on. That, that's to say, I do enjoy Ray as a character. Ray is a very good leading character. Um, so, and here's Craig. Hey, this is the part where Craig just kind of rambles and we're going <laughs> to see if I land where I want to land. Um, and this is a symptom more of the second and third movies than this one. So forgive me where Ray feels very disjointed from the resistance. Yeah, because she's got like her own force of storyline kind of going on alongside this war with the resistance but like she's like yeah and they i think they purposely did that by like keeping her separate and that's why there's you know scenes where she gets called out for not being there with everybody else yeah and the and luke had the same problem in episode five when he's on dagobah for like days yeah i'm like like i understand this is part of your force journey and the force journey is very important to the DNA of a Star Wars movie, but Ray almost feels like she's taken away from the resistance too much. And you're right. She does get called out on it. Um, but it just, it does, it's not a case for her. And I feel like with Ray as a character and also like the actress, I feel like Daisy really got more comfortable as Ray as the movies went on. And then the character sure. also got stronger as it went. Because they definitely yeah. they definitely started her off as like this you know hostile w- woman waiting for her not even woman but like this hostile little girl waiting for her family to come back kind of deal. Yeah, she's on edge the entire time. 
Exactly. Uh, and when she is on edge, I am also on edge. So when there were some moments where she would kind of snap at somebody and I'm like, whoa, 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 Ray, hold on. Whoa. <laughs> That's really. It, it, yeah. Um, but yeah, again, I, 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 this is a very small criticism that I feel like I've been talking about a lot. I've, this is, I'm talking about <laughs> it longer than I anticipated talking about it. I just wanted to make sure I was specific and I wasn't like trying to blow anything out of proportion yet. Here I am. Um, Finn, I'm going to say I'm it was very nice to see Finn get comfortable with the lightsaber, but not be a Jedi. Yes, absolutely. Because um, in this movie and some of Rise of Skywalker, you know, he is the one with the lightsaber. And it, it's just cool to see somebody else use a lightsaber. And also that, that when they're on Starkiller base. And Finn is fighting Kylo Ren with no force training, no lightsaber he training. He holds his he's, own. He's doing it all on his own. And and that kind of doubles back to what I was talking about in terms of the intensity of his friendship. Is like, I've got nothing but this, but this weapon I don't know how to use. But I also know that I am currently the only thing standing between me and or between Kylo Ren and Rey right now. And I need to like buy her some time. And, and it was just very cool. Craig. Hey, Craig. Yeah, what's up? Would you fight a big, scary, tall, dark, masked warlord for me? No, I'd give him <laughs> your number and your availability. <laughs> like, I, I, to answer your question, I would diffuse the situation. I would have a much different approach to it. My God. <laughs> Don't call me out like this. <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, um, like I said before, this movie is very pretty. Like the Falcon flight scene on Jakku, very good. Um, the lightsaber fight scenes on Starkiller Base, chef's freaking kiss. Like, if you want a visual aesthetic, this whole trilogy is, like... Spot on. Mm, uh, spot on. Love it. Um, the only other scene that I think we need to talk about that we haven't is the um, Maz Kanata scene. Oh. Right? That's her name? I think so. Yes, Maz Kanata. Um, again, I appreciate her more on a second watch through. Yes. Um, the first time I watched it, she... Felt very like, who is this person? Why does she know so much about the force? Why is she so invested in Ray? Like all that stuff. Like it, it felt like we were told it mattered simply because it needed to. But rewatching it again, you know, I kind of gave up the notion that, you know, we don't need a backstory on Maz Kanata. You know, she is. And I think she is portrayed uh, very well. Um like, I think uh, Lupita Nyong'o does a, like, she's very, how do I, she, she, she's portrayed in a way, it's like, if she looked into my soul, she could read me like a book. Yeah, absolutely. It, she has one of my favorite lines in a movie, really, which is like, I bet you can guess which one it is. I have a memory of a fishbowl, so no. It's. Not even the fish, just the <laughs> fishbowl. <laughs> it's. The belonging you seek is not behind you, but ahead. Yes. Yeah. 
she she is a very philosophical character yeah and i think she does a very good job at it uh so it's just it's cool and then the fight scene where um poe comes back you know we kind of think he's dead for most of the movie um and he shows up at you know maz Kanata's castle to help defend them on their way out uh i think that that's also very cool um ray's journey ray getting luke's sky luke's lightsaber and her having her beginning that force journey right then and there was a cool scene to i think i just think this movie is cool god god and i think they also like they introduced kylo ren in like a really fantastic way and then they also had the face reveal be done in a solid way as well yeah mm-hmm, for sure you can tell that bb-8 is like pose droid because of the mannerisms like they both oh, have yeah. such similar mannerisms it's like how can a droid like that have the same mannerisms as a flesh being <laughs> don't say that that was weird um only if you uh, make yeah. it weird. BB-8's a cool character, and and you're right. the I, The best part about BB-8 is Poe's dynamic with BB-8. Like Poe treats BB-8 like a child, and and like his child rather, like his yeah. child. And it's it's kind of cute to see. <laughs> also, when you know Ray and Kylo are fighting in the forest, and he like knocks her out, and then scoops her up to take her prisoner, and he scoops her up like she's nothing, like she's literally the weight of a feather. I was like, damn, dang, <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Oh yeah, um, yeah. There's, uh, I like this movie a lot. I can keep talking about individual scenes, but I don't think that's gonna get very productive. <laughs> Um, man, I really want to be bold and just give this movie a flat eight. Go for it. Yeah, I think this movie's a flat eight. Obviously, there are some, like, I've talked about, you know, not, this movie's not perfect. Um, but there's a lot, there's so, there's so much good in this movie. I think, I think I'm, uh, right there with you, honestly. Um, and so now we enter The Last Jedi, which is where we enter the divisiveness of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of people did not like Ryan Johnson's interpretations of a lot of characterization. And I, what I would say is like, that's not how I would have written those characters, but I understand why he did what he did. Explain. So Luke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by the end of the trilogy, his trilogy, and even, you know, the character appearances he has made since then in, like, Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, like, he becomes this, like, regal, contained master of the Force. He, he gives off this air, or, like, it wouldn't be wrong to interpret that Luke... You know, not a brush goes through the force without Luke seeing it and understanding it. Right. And so we arrive at The Last Jedi and we are given this characterization of Luke giving up on the force. Very apathetic. Very apathetic towards the force. And so a lot of people, I think, felt betrayed that this character that was supposed to represent the light side of the force in its entirety could give up on the force. And 
I agree in the sense that like we don't see that journey. You know, the the per, our hero, the person that we expect to be the hero of the galaxy wants nothing less than to forget about the Jedi, which we have come to revere in the last 50 years. Um, and, and so I kind of understand that concept. But on the other hand, that makes for a very boring character arc. Yeah, it definitely uh, definitely doesn't get very steep. Unless you have somewhere, unless you're in an extreme place to begin with. So I don't think Luke ever regained his confidence in the Jedi as an order or ever. I would even go so far as to say that, you know, maybe he still doesn't believe that the force can be fully balanced, but throughout the last Jedi, we see him reconcile with mistakes and come to an understanding that, you know, maybe the future of the force is not what it was, what we thought it was going to be, but the future of the force is in Ray and making sure that she is on the path of guidance is more important than anything else. Absolutely. And, but at the same time, like he doesn't want to be on that path anymore. And I don't blame him. No, after everything that he's been through. Shoot. And so this movie does a, I don't love how this scene is portrayed. Again, appreciated more in the second watch, but still I kind of have a gripe with it. And so the reason why Luke has this big um, exhalation from the Force is uh, after Ben Solo was born, Kylo Ren, you know, he always had, Luke did, Luke always sensed a little bit of the darkness in Kylo Ren. That was from Luke, or not from Luke, from Anakin. And so... As Kylo Ren got, or as Ben, rather, got older, Luke took him under his wing and was like, let me guide you. But there was just one night where Luke thought that Ben's darkness was going to overtake him, and there was nothing that Luke could do in terms of guidance to correct that path. So Luke thought, if I just kill him, I don't have to worry about it. And that scene is shown three different times from three different perspectives. And so by the time we see it the third time in kind of like the quote unquote correct context, it like, I kind of don't care about the context at that point. Right. I was going to say something and then it just totally slipped my mind. I'm mad about it. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Um, I mean, you know, I'm a motor mouth. I can talk forever um this this movie does introduce one of my other like favorite smaller characters which is rose yeah yeah dude rose is so good she's so good i love her um i will say um i you know what i did not like the canto bite scenes no i didn't when they're at the casino and they're trying to get the code breaker, like, it's fine. It's pro- like, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think it's bad. I just don't care. I think it's boring. I also don't like what's his face as a character. DJ? Yeah. 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 Wasn't a fan. Benicio del Toro has a, he has a tendency to play characters that just kind of get under your skin exactly and like not in a fun way no not not even slightly 
And so, you, you know what? I'd even go so far as to say I didn't mind when they were on Cantobite. It was the escape scene that I didn't care for that much. When they got on, what are they called? The Fathiers or something like that? Um, mm-hmm. When they took those. First of all, how many two-legged Wampa-like creatures does the Star Wars <laughs> galaxy need? All of like, them. They're, all of them, I guess. Um, so when they stole the Fathiers and were like running through the fields and then they had that ship. I'm just like, eh. I just didn't care for it. I thought that it was cool just because they were like doing, they're killing two birds with one stone. They were like, all right, we're getting out of here, but we're also stopping the abuse of these animals and making some kids happy and have faith in the resistance. Yes. Yeah. So maybe if I were to re redesign kind of that from, from the seed of it, is I think the seed of that scene is re-inspiring the resistance throughout the galaxy. And I think I genuinely think that it began on Cantobite. It's being but that spark. There's there being that spark. I, I think that maybe a scene where the central focus of it was reinstilling that hope rather than it kind of coincidentally happening while they were doing something else. I, I think that would have been a little bit more engaging than what we got. I could see where you're coming from, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and then the other third of this movie is um, this very high stakes but low intensity, like, space chase. Yeah. Where the, enti- the entire Resistance fleet, let's be clear, everything that the Resistance is right now is on this single fleet. And they are in this, like, limbo chase where they are able to be faster than the ships chasing them, but they can't go too fast. Otherwise they'll get, they'll run out of fuel and, you know, not have anything to show for it. Um, and it was interesting to see those kind of power dynamics, um, between Poe and Laura Dern's character. Holdo. Holdo. Yes. Um, is it, I, I just feel like we didn't cut back to them enough to kind of like really instate kind of like what Holdo is trying to do to Poe, for Poe. Like right. that relationship, I feel like could have been given a little bit more life. And I understand why it isn't because there's not a lot you can write in terms of we are keeping pace. We can't go faster. We can't go slower. We're waiting on another team. Like I feel after. Like- it's kind of hard to you they're in a box at that point i feel like how like the relationship between them was portrayed kind of like played off of poe being some sort of himbo more than emphasizing the hey to be a good leader you have to be a little bit more selfless and you have to just make hard decisions that aren't going to make sense to everybody until it's happening yes and so on that point i think this movie the way this movie opens does, I, I, I think, is a very well shot and choreographed uh, fight seek or uh, space fight. I really like, the, you know, the opening space fight. But what I think more than that is I think this movie does a very good job at illuminating sacrifice. Yes. So the way those bombers get destroyed and Rose's sister is like the way she fights to the bitter end to make sure that one set of bombs gets deployed from her ship 
is like it's a very good demonstration of sacrifice and i think it sets a tone for poe's character for the rest of this movie of like we i don't want to say that poe was willing to make those sacrifices but he walked away from that mission is a and was like all right we gotta wipe that slate because we got more to do yeah and and so us as the audience seeing a scene with a lot of genuine sacrifice and then Poe kind of being like, all right, we got to make the next sacrifice and Leia being like, Whoa, no, we don't. Excuse me. Uh, it was, it's cool. I think Poe goes through a lot of evolution in this movie. You also get to see a lot of like the backside for Kylo Ren's motivations for things in this one. And like the kind of abuses and torments he's put under and like the expectations that are put on him by snoke and also that scene with the lightsaber the scene where he kills snoke is very cool oh i remember being like jaw actually on the floor in the theater when i saw that because it does such a good job at showcase i think above all else it showcases hubris above anything else where Snoke is so on his high horse, where the answer is literally right in front of him, but he refuses to see it as anything but like loyalty for him. Yeah. And then the fight scene that follows is also phenomenal and yeah. perfectly choreographed. A lot of people criticize that scene because it's very like Batman in the sense of like, there's a crowd, yet they're only attacking one at a time. And as soon as they get kind of stunned, they the the actors like removed themselves from the battle. Um, and I get that criticism. However, I still think it's fun to watch, and, and that's I, all I kind of care about. I is think if it's it fun. makes more sense doing it this way with this type of battle because they all have ginormous weapons and if everybody's just swinging you're gonna hurt your own people yeah big weapons and also ranged weapons like three of those guys had like like very distance melee weapons yeah exactly um i also think this is the we've reached the point now where we are starting to explore Kylo and Ray's relationship in terms of being a dyad in the Force. And them being a dyad means they are almost pretty much spiritually connected through the Force. So they have this almost bond that they speak to each other through. And the more that they master this bond, they can feel each other's emotions. They can harness each other's powers. They can figure out each other's locations. They transport each other things. And it's a very cool dynamic to have between two characters that want completely opposite things. Exactly. It's like, yeah, it's... Enemies to friends, almost. (laughs) Enemies to borderline lovers. And having this unbreakable bond between the two of them that does nothing but get in their way for most of the franchise is a cool thing that this... I think The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker both do a very good job of exploring. Yeah, and it's like it gets in their way... 
and obviously this is like something we'll get into more later but it gets in their way until they finally need to rely on each other yeah and i i just think that's very cool um also i man i'm kind of ashamed of myself because we've only talked about leia once and she is so good in these movies phenomenal absolutely phenomenal phenomenal. i remember how carrie fisher died um before this movie came out and so her entire so we watched this movie and we knew like she had completed her filming for last jedi so like Whatever ending she had was going to be the ending that was intended for her in this movie. And there's specifically a scene like towards the end of the first act when a hole gets blown in their cruiser and Leia gets ejected into space. And everyone's kind of sitting on the edge of their seat, both because not only is this a character that we care a lot about, but we also know that her future in this movie is tenuous because of real life circumstances so i remember watching this movie and being just kind of like there's a moment of unsureness uncertainty everyone of 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 uncertainty thank you that everybody's just kind of forced to sit in for a moment and i think it was very well done and i like how you can see just how big of an impact leia has on the members of the resistance and those who are closest to her because you know you see like especially poe like acting out a little bit more because he's like so stressed and worried about her yeah and i i also think it's really cool how important leia is just in general to see her go from like quote-unquote helpless princess to member of the team, to family member, to this group would not survive without her is a very cool progression to see that character make. And none of that is undeserved. Definitely not. No. Um, Luke's final stance with Kylo Ren that is was... so cool. So cool. It's so badass. So, cool. so badass. And there's a few gripes that one could justifiably have about the mechanics of force astral projection and like when things are and aren't tangible. Like you could get into the nitty gritty of that and on a bad day I might, but at the end of the day, I was able to be like, this movie wants to tell an emotional story. If it wants to force a few loopholes so it can give us a little bit more raw emotion, I'm okay with it doing that. Absolutely. It, w- it would have been nicer if it didn't have to do that, but it did, and I'm not going to beef with it too hard. Sometimes um, you got to do what you got to do. But... At the end of the day, Luke fighting in a manner to not reveal his astral projection is it, it makes that fight scene cool. Absolutely. It's what gives it its defining characteristic. And and also uh, when Luke first shows up to that scene, I, I think we see Kylo Ren break in a way that we knew he was capable of and was afraid of him doing up to this point. Yeah, you kind of see him like genuinely rattled. Um, 
because when Luke shows up, they he, he unleashes an unnecessary amount of power. And it, I think it kind of shows that's where Kylo is, Kylo is as a character. He is broken and he and he is ready to take the unnecessary step. And also like seeing the man who you wholeheartedly believe just tried to kill you again for the first time in X amount of years. It's going to yeah. bring up some emotion. <laughs> Yeah, that too. That too. Um, it's just lots of good stuff. Adam Driver does a very good job with Kylo Ren. Like he harnesses that anger so specifically that scene that anger's origin as we see that character progress is uh, just like a kudos to him in terms of performance. I think acting is Adam Driver's anger management. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, anything else to say about this one? No, what are, you, what are you giving this one? This movie is weird. This movie has bad parts to it. This yeah. movie has parts I don't like. But again, this movie tells an emotional story with very good character send-offs in, a, in an artistically beautiful manner. So I think for all its faults, this movie makes up for a lot of it. I, so I think I give it still a good rating. I think it's like a seven and a quarter. I was going to say that while I agree with everything you said, personally for me, this is the weakest of the three in this sure. trilogy. And so I think this one's probably going to be either like a seven, seven and a quarter, but probably closer to a seven for me. For sure. Yeah. Um. So Rise of Skywalker. Right. How do I? S <laughs> Rise of Skywalker. This movie. God, first of all, man, this is the movie that really sent Star Wars fans off the edge in terms of there are movies where you can dislike Star Wars movies. That's fine. But I think Rise of Skywalker specifically gave birth to a breed of Star Wars fans that baffle me. There, there's a phrase in the Star Wars community that is, no one hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. <laughs> and I think this movie specifically cultivated a new generation of that. Possibly, and it's yeah. a bummer because there are parts of this movie that I do not like. Just straight up. Like, uh, Palpatine's return is sloppy. Yeah, I, they I definitely did not lay that out as comprehensively as they should have. And I'm not saying don't bring back Palpatine. I'm saying do it with a purpose. And yeah. they didn't. No. Like, you can look up a comprehensive reason how he is back. And, it, and it's like... There's clone like they say it offhandedly like there's one character whose name I don't know but shows up a few times where he just kind of like cloning dark science and that's kind of all we get. Um, but like the more in-depth explanation is like those creatures that kind of run Palpatine's life forces, you know, they had a copy of his consciousness before he died. And so they just kind of jammed that into a new body, but the new body rejected the consciousness, which is why there's so much machinery that is keeping Palpa Palpatine alive. Palpa that's why he's very, yeah, that's why he's very <laughs> decrepit. Um, that's why he looks like he did right before he died the first time. 
yeah, so there is, you know, a sci-fi reasoning to Palpatine returning. It's just not done well in this movie. And he's literally back for what? Like a week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, ooh, big spooky man back for a I, week. I, know, I think he's been back this whole time because Palpatine says he created Snoke. Yeah, Snoke that's true. Is a, so I, think Palpa- I don't think Palpatine ever like truly... The galaxy was ever truly without Palpatine's influence. Yeah, but they found um, out that he was back, and then they were like, all right, let's tie this loose end up right now. No, that was less than 24 hours. Straight yeah, up. Straight up. <laughs> um, they, they say he's doing this in 18 hours. Uh, and this movie starts with a very hostile energy that I wasn't really a fan of because... Uh, Ray do- is doing her force training. She runs an obstacle course, and during that obstacle course, BB-8 get hits by gets hit by a tree and suffers what I cannot express is only cosmetic damage. <laughs> only cosmetic. And, and Poe and Finn are on a mission, and they come back, and the Millennium Falcon is on fire. <laughs> and so Ray and Finn. Ha- or Ray and Poe, rather, have this, like, very hostile interaction of... Tis but uh, a scratch. Yeah, like, fi- or Poe was like, what did you do to my droid? And Ray is like, what did you do to the Falcon? And it's like this 45-second interaction of them arguing about the the destruction, quote-unquote, that was given to both of the things that they, that they cared about. And... I just I did not care for the energy that Poe brought to that conversation, and I I understand that energy. He was not mad because BB-8 got hurt. He was mad because Ray was not on that mission with them. Exactly. He was projecting. I just, I just get very frustrated when characters are very clearly projecting and no one is doing anything about it. I mean, sometimes you just gotta let them get it out and move on. Yeah, I, 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 so I think maybe the big beef is just like, that's how the movie starts. Yeah. And so that's kind of the tone that it is sits. followed up. And, and so I just wish that it felt almost out of character for Poe because yeah. we had this whole movie about him finding peace within being a leader and what being a leader means. And he comes back from that journey and instantly snaps on Ray. And I felt like it, it just didn't felt very leader like. And I got frustrated watching it. That, that's definitely valid. And I, and I, you know, at the beginning of this one, he's still, you know, getting back, getting himself back together after being knocked down, you know. And so him projecting makes sense. But like you said, it doesn't really set things off on a good note. Yeah. This movie is definitely the one that, like, makes me cry the most. Because <laughs> there's so many moments that, like, you know, BB-8 is in danger a lot in this one. You meet Babu Freak, who's the cutest little thing ever. <laughs> The whole C-3PO incident, losing Leia, ending, all of it. Yeah, this movie, I think, for all the crap that people give it, I think it is a very nice end to a trilogy. I say this all the time. Big fan of finales. I will give a finale a lot of passes as long as it gives me the emotional wrap-up that I want. And this movie does that. Definitely. Um. 
it, it gives a lot of people high stakes um, so that they can be resolved. They're not all perfect. I'm going to talk about a few characters that I feel like, oh, you know what? Let's circle back to something for real quick. Mm-hmm. Phasma got done so dirty. So dirty. Phasma, when I saw those movies in theaters, Phasma was the one character after watching Force Awakens where I'm like, I am genuinely excited to see what Phasma does next. And then sh- and then they drop her down a pit. Like, like what a bummer. What like a bummer. She's this honored character who, you know, we see consistently and then that's just how they do her off come on yeah so it's so that was frustrating um and there are some characters in this movie that i feel also get not like an equal treatment but just kind of like i i would have i would have done a few things differently um it was very nice it was very nice to see lando again yes i feel like he was there more for emotional support than mm-hmm. actual support. Yeah. Um, that being said, the the first line in this movie that makes me cry is a Lando line. So when Leia dies, um, Poe is at her bedside grieving. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know if I'm ready to do this. And then Lando comes and he's like, no, no, no. Sorry, I'm crying right now. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Where he's like, none of us were. You know, Luke, Leia, Han, like, none of us were ready to be leaders. We just kind of had to be. Right. And I I like that line a lot. Yeah, because it's like, like, nobody is ready for this. You just have to be ready and give it your best good old college try. And so, like, Leia's death was kind of like... We're going to give Craig a moment here to to gather himself. To genuinely cry for a second? Yes. Um, uh, like... Deep breaths. So, like, when Leia dies and this kind of, like, un... How her legacy gets passed through to all the characters. How it gets passed to... Not, not so much Finn, unfortunately, but... How it gets passed to Poe in leadership and how it gets passed to Rey in, you know, the material lightsaber that she has earned and how it gets passed to Kylo, to Ben through legacy in the force. I think um, all of those branches are explored very well. And uh, while while the scenes that they happen in aren't perfect, I think that the theme of legacy and the the force that is carried through into the next generation of the force. I I really like that message a lot. It's a very strong one and I remember sitting there and sobbing for like 15 20 minutes in the theater during yeah. all of that. <laughs> like I was a mess when I saw this and I saw this one twice in theaters, I think. Oh god. Um, I need to criticize this movie again before I start crying again. Um, the the f- dagger was stupid. Uh, pointless, <laughs> honestly. It's it's the first time in a Star Wars movie where we've had like a genuine Deus Ex Machina, where like we need this item so we can get this item so we could do something else. Yeah. Uh, usually in Star Wars movies, these I I. I these Deus Ex Machinas exist in Star Wars. I, I don't want to deny that. 
uh, but usually it is pieces of information. It is relationships between people. It is very, this is the first time it has been, I need a, I need a knife. There's, there's a, a knife. knife. Like you have lightsabers and all this space stuff and you need a dagger. It Ooh. felt very on the nose. Yeah. Uh, so, because the real thing that they were going after was information. And like I said, the transference of information is in Star Wars's DNA. Getting information from one place to another, that's Star Wars. And so to have it on such like a material item felt very un-Star Wars. Yeah, for sure. I was never I was never a fan of that bit. Like that entire like sequence is kind of where I get a little almost bored. Yeah. Like when they are on Kajimi and they're like in the tunnels and they're looking for what's that dude's name? Ocho? Acho? Achi? Something like that. Um, Like that, that part wasn't very interesting to me because uh, this happens a lot in video games too, where it's like, we need to, we have problem A, but as soon as we get to problem A, we have to solve problem 1A. And then we are given a problem 2A. And that's what that whole Kajimi scene felt like was a problem for a problem for a problem. And so, yeah, it, it gets a little boring. Um, however, that Kajimi scene does have, uh, uh, the coolest sequence in the movie, which is Ray doing a backflip over Kylo's ship. Oh my God. It's so good. Very good. A very good scene. Girl boss. Yeah. She girl bossed very hard in that moment. (laughs) Um, also this is a complaint that many Star Wars fans have. So I know I'm not the first to say it. How? more desert planets do we need yeah, that kind of, i mean yeah that definitely shocked me i'm like okay, we got another two in this trilogy alone alone we like, were on three i hate it. <laughs> it, 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 it it's to the point where like i i understand that by if you were to solve this problem one way, you open up another problem. Another very common Star Wars complaint is why does so much have to happen on Tatooine? Yeah. Like, why does the Mandalorian have to show up on Tatooine? Why does the Book of Boba Fett have to happen on Tatooine? Why does... So, like, if you don't have so many desert planets, you end up back on Tatooine And then, you know, we're just adding fuel to a different problem's fire. So I understand having different planets for the sake of, hey, just so you know, this isn't all one place. But having a little bit of climate variation, I don't know. Like, having Jakku being a desert planet, fine. Kajimi had no reason to be a desert planet. Like, I... It, this is space, right? You're supposed to be able to have all these futuristic planets with these futuristic cities and like all this lush greenery and these creatures. Like, why? Like, I wanted more forest chase scenes or like big city chase scenes where like they're like, like you know, like in the prequels where they're flying through the downtown Coruscant. city area. Yeah. And it's like, uh, why can't we have some more of that? Why do we just have to stick with desert or water? Yeah, so that that was kind of a bummer. I mean, we do get to another planet whose name escapes me. You know what? 
I've been mixing up these planets uh, the whole time. Kijimi is the planet that they go to, that Babu Freak is on. Kijimi yes, is Babu yes. Freak's planet. Yes. What planet are they on? Pasana. That that was the name, Pasana. Um, so every time I said Kijimi in the last 10 minutes, <laughs> I was talking that. about Pasana. Um, now to actually talk about Kajimi. That's like the closest we get to like a city scene. Yes. Um, I liked that. I didn't love it. I really liked Zori. She is, she has a very good aesthetic. Big fan of the aesthetic. Um, love her attitude. Love her and Poe's interaction. Yeah. And her and Poe, you, you have to mop up the chemistry they have. Absolutely. um, also, Zori does look like a member of Tupperware Remix Party, and <laughs> I'm. And if you're familiar with that band, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh my god! And like, you could tell that there's like more of a history between her and Poe than they even like let on, and it's just like I want that story. Yeah, you want to talk about a Disney Plus opportunity? Give me. First of all, I don't want six episodes of nothing. I want ten episodes. <laughs> I want ten episodes of Zori and Poe. Please, just give me more Oscar Isaac. That's all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, and we're introduced to my second favorite character in the franchise, uh, Dio. Dio rules. Dio's so cute. I just have a, I just have a soft spot for small, cute things. If you give me an ankle height droid, I will love it. Valid. Uh, BB-8, Dio, BD-1, mouse droids, like big fan, big fan of small droids. Are you, are you not a big fan of R2D2? I like his personality. Um, he's not as, he's not as cute. He's much but, more mature. <laughs> One must have a refined taste to appreciate <laughs> R2-D2. No, I just the other ones are like small and cute and fun. And B, uh, like BB-8 is like a child, like we said. And R2-D2 is like a grown man. Well, especially in this trilogy. In the prequel, yeah. the original trilogy, he is very much a moody teenager. Absolutely. But this time, but, but, the, but this trilogy, R2-D2, just the entire, he's not in very much of it. But every time you see him, again, does not speak a single word. But every time he beeps, it gives the illusion of just like, I've seen some Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And, and BB-8 is just kind of like, hey, big brother, do you want to play? And R2-D2 is like, don't talk to me. R2-D2 is <laughs> like, what you've seen, what I've seen, you won't want to play anymore. <laughs> um, the other part of this movie that makes me cry and might make me cry again, fair warning, is when they were on Exegol and there's this moment of despair mm-hmm. where like, Poe has like accepted defeat and he's like, I thought that I could rally us together. I thought we were going, I thought we had enough between us. I thought we had the hope to (laughs) rally us together and, and pull off something like this. And in that moment of deep despair, the Lando comes with that overwhelmingly large army and just kind of like reestablishes, like you know, you aren't alone in this galaxy. Like yeah. it, 
it it was it was a very good moment. I love that moment, but also at the same time, I'm like, dude, you couldn't have gotten here like five minutes earlier. Like we needed you five minutes ago. We needed you just like five minutes ago. A little bit sooner. <laughs> like you could have waited. You could have could have done this a little bit before I lost everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, something that I found interesting, which goes along with you being like, yeah, I like that, you know, Finn got to wield the lightsaber, but didn't ever, like, become, like, a Jedi or was never seen as a Jedi or whatever. What I thought was interesting is that when Leia passes, like, you see, same with Han in the first one, you see that, like, Jedi react to the loss in the Force, right? And when Rey dies you see finn reacts to it yeah so i thought Mm -hmm. that that was interesting that he could like feel her loss in the atmosphere almost like the loss of her light force or her life force in the atmosphere also when leia died and ray and ben feel her loss in the force god (laughs) ah this movie destroys me oh my god this movie destroys me and like also luke telling ray that leia was like yeah my son has to die for my jedi life to be completed and then so like ray knows what's going to happen no matter what yeah yeah um uh, which makes which makes it even harder towards the end because like she gets this false hope when he like crawls back and saves her and she's like oh my god you didn't die it's okay it's fine everything's okay and then no no yeah no no um that was a very cool sequence between the two of them um her passing the lightsaber to ben ben fighting off the knights of ren there's a lot of closure um, i feel like yes where like everything is culminating to this um and, and like we said for Last Jedi, this movie does a lot of exploring the relationship, not necessarily the relationship between Ben and Rey, but specifically the relationship that Ben and Rey have together through the Force. Yes. And that moment of understanding when they're on the Death Star wreckage, where they're like, Kylo has gone too far. Kylo Ren needs to die. Mm-hmm. And that turning point when they get to Exegol and and fight together, it, it is not, like you said, it is not only a moment of character growth, but it is a moment of character closure. And I also like, in every single movie, Kylo has the line, I know what I need to do. And then yeah. in the first one, when he's about to kill his father, he's like, I just don't know if I have the strength to do it. And then in the second one, when he's talking to Han again, but he's talking about his own death, because I'm pretty sure he knows what's going to happen as well. And sure. he's like, I know what I need to do, but I don't know if I'm strong enough to do it. And both times, Han is just like, you are, and it's going to be yeah. okay. And that's just like, oh, dad Han, I love it. Third time Craig cried is when Ray is uh was knocked down by Palpatine and all the voices of the Jedi. Oh, are it gets me to her. every time. It gets me every time. It's and what I love that that is like the perfect amount of fan service because it gives the genu- the general people who they know it gives them Anakin and Obi Wan and Qui Gon and Yoda, but. 
then you get Ahsoka. Uh, yes. Uh, Kanan is there. Like, y- like there are some deep cuts in that. They have uh, all so, the Jedi are with her. So um, uh, Mace Windu, you hear his voice. Like it, it, yeah, it's such a good scene. Mm. You want to know what makes me want? What scene makes me want to sob after What's that up? though is when Ray gets back and her Finn and Poe are all just holding each other and crying into each other. I'm like, yeah. oh, my the- heart. The moment when, you know, separated groups are like, we all made it back is it's a very it's a very heartfelt moment. It's chef's kiss. It's one of my favorite movie moments. Also, uh, Chewie finally got the medal he deserved. Uh, Should have gotten it way sooner. That was one of those moments where I'm like, that was cheesy. And if I'm honest, it was a little bit stupid. And this was not the time for that. No. It felt out of place, but it was cute. But he also just needed something good because he, Chewie, over this trilogy, lost 99% of his OG friends. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Like, he had to watch all of his friends die. And I'm like, Chewie, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, this is a bummer. Um, Like I said... These movies, uh, this one specifically, you know, I can criticize this one a lot. Um, But I think this movie also has a lot of good. Um, If we look at Star Wars for only the bad that it brings us, then we're not going to get anywhere with Star Wars. Every Star Wars has baggage. Um, And when you are invested in a franchise, like I am invested in Star Wars... And, and I, I, I don't want to speak on your behalf either, uh, but I choose to welcome the baggage as much as I welcome everything else about the franchise. Yeah. So if I have to put up with a stupid dagger so that I can see Leia's legacy be passed on to the next generation of force wielders, then so be it. You know, maybe it makes the movie a little bit worse, but the Star Wars universe is a universe that I love and the things that get I'm not there for the plot. I'm there for what gets I'm there for the interpretations. I'm there for seeing characters grow within these sets of circumstances and that's what we got in all three of these movies we got new characters that got to grow in a familiar space but still have the freedom to be different and so that's what i appreciate about this trilogy i definitely agree with everything that you just said i am fully in the same boat right next to you so what do you give this one this one's tough. This one's a genuinely tough rating. I think, God, I I, I think I have to give this a 6.75. Oh, this one is my seven and a quarter, I think. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, again, you know, J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson both gave us beautiful movies. Um, and this movie is no different. Um, I just, I... There were more parts of this that I felt boring than Last Jedi. Um, and and I, I really hate saying... I think I, I probably rated Phantom Menace 
and Attack of the Clones worse than I rated this one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't remember. Um, I think they were lower, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I understand why this movie and, and The Last Jedi both are on the bottom of people's ranking lists. And I understand that a lot of people have problems with these movies. There are lots of problems with the prequels and there's lots of problems with the original trilogy. But the good outweighs um, the bad. The good outweighs the bad. It just does. And so I think as a fran- I think as a, a as a trilogy, the map if you were to average the three movies, that's not what this number would come to. But I think this trilogy sits at like a at like a seven and a half. Yeah, I yeah, I could definitely agree with that. Maybe I, I I'll give it a confident seven and a half, but a shaky seven point seven five. Definitely. I'm le- I'm less confident <laughs> in that higher rating, but like I, I solid I, I, ground I'm not g- seven and a half. Yeah. Uh, I think I want to take a second to talk about what I would want from the future of Star Wars. Um, because Taika Waititi is doing like the next. From what I under- I don't know if they're considering it like the next main Star Wars. I don't know if it's going to be labeled. It's going to be entirely episode. new characters and a new story entirely. Yes. And so I guess I want another, I want episode 10, 11, and 12. I want Ray, Finn, and Poe. I want Janna and, and Billy D. Williams is up there in age, so I wouldn't, I'm not expecting anything. Um, but I, I, I want Finn, Ray, and Poe. I want them back. I want them in 10, 11, and 12. I want to be able to the see the legacy th- be passed on. The main thing that I don't want is i don't want another empire i don't yeah. want another first order i don't like between we've had that enough i don't know what that story is i don't know if it's maybe it's a story about reestablishing trust in the galaxy mm. right um because we've talked a lot about how the jedi council was flawed from inception um and as the prequel trilogy goes on their authority is undermined consistently and deservedly. Mm-hmm. And so when in The Last Jedi, Luke says the Jedi Order need to come to an end, I agree with him. Yeah. The Jedi Order is nothing. Um, so maybe there are movies about establishing what being a Jedi means in a new context. Maybe we are still fighting the Sith. Maybe there is a, the dark side of the force to fight, but seeing them in like an organized fascist regime is not the direction I need to see it go again. I want something fresh. Definitely need something fresh. But I'm not a movie writer, <laughs> so I don't know what that fresh is. I know maybe there are just pockets. Yeah. Uh, uh, where maybe it just needs to be a Sith terrorist group. Please no. <laughs> Um, just something else. Um, I, I want to go back and I want to rewatch solo and rogue one. I've been meaning to, but my brain is soup. Uh, but I, I want to go back and watch that. Kenobi as of recording, this isn't fully out. Uh, we have one more episode left, but like Kenobi has been delivering. Kenobi is solid. Um, I, I think that we are in a very blessed time for star Wars content. And I am, I'm going to ride this train for a very long time. And I don't know 
what it would take for me to get off this train. I'm just, I'm a big fan. Big fan. You're, you're conducting this train at this point. I guess so. Um, Is that all? But Yeah, I, I, do, I think that's all. Okay, well, this brings us to the end of our commentary on the sequel trilogy, which brings us to the end of our discussion on one of the most influential franchises of our lives thus far. We laughed, we cried, we theorized, and now it is time to close this book until we open it again sometime We monologued later. too, apparently. <laughs> hey, you had your bit at the beginning. Give me this one. All right, fair enough. Anyway, next month, we're going to do something extra special, which is our parents' favorite movies. Yes, which is uh, was a little difficult to nail down, but we got there. Um, specifically, my dad. <laughs> <laughs> we had to call him to discuss. <laughs> we, we called my dad right before we started recording, and he, he did not give me a single answer. So we kind of had to, like figure out which would be the most interesting of the answers we were given. But regardless, um, we are watching uh, my mom's favorite movie, Dirty Dancing. What we have decided is my dad's favorite movie, Casino Royale. And we're watching my mother's favorite movie, The Breakfast Club. And my dad's favorite movie, Warriors. I've seen two of these. I've I've seen seen all of them. (laughs) Okay. Bug, we got... we gotta so we can talk about this uh this is after this episode goes up we will have been doing small and tall for a full year which is crazy so uh, the parents favorite movie episode is going to be the the episode that officially marks the one year anniversary like closer to the date but you know this is the the, this one is the 12th episode yes the goal for year two of small and tall is to (laughs) is to watch more movies that you haven't seen. That's so hard, though. (laughs) No, it's not. I've seen so many movies. So have I. But we've also been choosing a lot. We've been choosing a lot of comfortable themes. This is true. We've been in a lot of very casual themes. So year two of Small and Tall is going to be us branching out and to maybe going into more different genres that you and I both haven't explored very much. Like, you know, we want to do the anime month soon. Um, We have, we have lots of themes um, on the docket that neither of us are very familiar with. So we are very excited to dive into that, but that's a future problem. (laughs) So we'll see you back next month for those fun movies to you know give a little nod to our parents who made the decision to give us this life where we now have to pay bills and watch watch the world fall apart oh yeah Uh (laughs) what what you said too Um, so i'm bug and i'm small and i'm craig and i'm tall this has been small and tall and we'll catch you on the flip side i just realized that was the first time i said my name that whole episode so if you didn't know who i was up until that point you didn't have any you were just the guy that i was just the guy that talks a lot i said it when i asked if you would fight for my life oh okay okay good 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 well have fun be safe and make good choices Mwah.